Marriage. <laughs> Marriage is what brings us together today. The Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and excited color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Derek McCarson, the Four Horsemen. If you recognize that quote from the Princess Bride, then you've been well-schooled in 80s pop culture. Derek McCarson here, Four Horsemen Podcast. Here today with me, Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman. We are talking today about the institution of marriage, specifically how marriage and the role that it plays in society seems to have eroded away in our growingly secular and godless culture. Got a little statistics here that I want to throw out. Um, a few years ago, there was a interesting article in Time magazine. It was done by Time and Pew Research, and the topic was, is marriage becoming obsolete? And they asked thousands of people across the nation this question, and when the results came in, nearly 40% of people who participated in that survey said, yes, marriage is obsolete. The name of the study was The Decline of Marriage and the Rise of New Families, and it revealed a, a whole lot about how changing tides and opinions were happening in the culture. Uh, one paragraph from the study said that the uh, Pew report recognized the watershed impact on society of the attitudes revealed in their study, saying, quote, It is no small thing when nearly four in ten Americans agree that the world's most enduring social institution is becoming obsolete. And then one of the people who worked on that article, author Caitlin Flanagan, she said, quote, There is no other single force causing as much measurable hardship and human misery in this country as the collapse of marriage. This isn't a preacher or a Sunday school teacher writing that. Um, that's somebody writing for a secular magazine. Uh, along with that, um, changing ideas with cohabitation. Uh, here's another part of the study. Perhaps the most prevalent evidence of marriage becoming obsolete in our society is the fast-rising incidence of cohabitation, that is, couples living together without choosing to be married. Maybe you know somebody in that. Maybe you've got neighbors or people in your church who are of that camp. These couples are sometimes referred to as, quote-unquote, friends with benefits. They want the benefits of marriage without tying themselves down to a lifetime commitment or risking the hassle of divorce. And then uh, they noted some more statistics on this study of cohabitation and so on. It said in 1977, fewer than one million opposite-sex couples were living together unmarried. Um, but by 2010, 7.5 million. Of course, that was only a sliver. So there is the trend that we are dealing with today. Um, the redefinition of marriage, the decline of marriage, 
And we in the church, as pastors, as ministers, as uh, teachers and leaders, uh, we are seeing this hit us head on like a tidal wave, never before. Um, so we're going to open up the floor here now that we've laid the foundation. And let's just talk maybe from a historical basis or experience basis in your ministry. Uh, what are some of the factors that have led to where we are today? Some of them are very obvious, but uh, guys, just chime in on this. In your opinion, in your study, in your observation, why are we in the mess that we are in? What brought us here? Well, I think it's the the definition of marriage. What is the definition of marriage today? Um, from a secular standpoint, you know, marriage is really kind of just an, an agreement between two people, right? In, in a sense of, it is a, a matter of benefits. A lot of times the, the fighting for marriage is dealing with benefits or, or tax breaks. And so I think that society, and it's probably growing even more, it's just, it's almost like a postmodern view of marriage, make it what you want to make it. And, and so there's no real true foundation anymore to the to society as a whole of what marriage is. That's what I would say is how we got here. And I think it's only going to get, get worse. So the redefinition of marriage, obviously that is tied to the, the biblical definition. When you step away from one man, one woman for life and you tamper with that, mm-hmm. you just kind of open up a Pandora's box of, it becomes pairing. It's the misuse of purpose of what the original marriage was. Got you. Dennis, what has brought us to where we are today? What what are the the threads that we can pull on? Well, speaking from my personal experience, what I see is that uh, over the years of some four decades of ministry, early on, divorce was rare. Uh, Cohabitation was almost unheard of. It was looked down upon as something bad. Uh, children that were born out of wedlock were given a name that was very, not very flattering. I'm not saying we should have done that, but I'm just saying that's the way things were. And uh, so you hardly knew anybody in that, in that setting. And just in less than half a century, you've seen a, a swing the opposite direction to where you will have people in church, not only that are cohabiting, but make no bones about it they don't see anything wrong with it they love each other you know they're in and out of relationships Uh, divorce is rampant Uh, people having children uh, you know single moms uh, having kids teens having kids and it's always been an issue but but what I see is that the culture has shaped the church instead of the church shaping the culture that we have failed to be salt and light and the salt has lost its seasoning potency mm-hmm. and the light's been hidden under a basket. And uh, as a result of that, it's no wonder that the uh, society is uh, as it is and sinners do what sinners have always done and that's sin, but there's nothing, no real restraint that, uh, that is there uh, because uh, even within our churches, we're failing uh, to do what we, what we need to do. Uh, and and so that's what, I, what I've seen happen. And to piggyback off that, I, another part of that study that I, I didn't even reference there in the introduction was a, a new thing that's really come about in the past few years, and that's called open marriage. Have you guys heard of that? Where yes. 
the relationship is basically, yeah, they might be married um, verbally or, or maybe it is official. They have a marriage certificate, but the relationship is open for those uh, people within that to explore, date, bring in other people, whatever. It's just uh, a free-for-all, really, mm-hmm. uh, when you think about it. So, um, Adam, you've mentioned uh, the stepping away from the biblical definition, which uh, ties a- along with the the uh, biblical worldview being eroded. Um, Dennis, you mentioned no-fault divorce uh, being a part leading up to the mess that we are in. Ben, what about you? What can you add to that? I think... Um after World War II, you start having like the rise of postmodernism um, in society, which basically just breaks down social constructs. And so you have like um, uh, the idea of marriage, the idea of government, the idea of law enforcement, the idea of um, moral and ethical standards. Like everything just becomes a social construct and like right and wrong, good and bad. Um, marriage, not marriage, whatever, all, all those things are just pressures that we experience from society and they're not real. They don't actually mean anything. They mean what we decide for them to mean. And then you end up in the culture that we're in today, which is basically like my feelings determine reality. And so marriage is whatever I feel like it is. Morality is whatever I feel like it is. The law is whatever I feel like it is. And so there's just no, no objectivity in general. So I think that's a big factor. Another big factor that I think is is the rise of the birth control pill because when you look, you have the rise of the birth control pill cu- coupled with the sexual revolution um, and the LBGTQ right, and that and that was a little and bit you can add abortion past to that well, in case they miss out on the front end, right? Yeah, so I would end. say birth control, which would also include uh, abortion. So explain that cases. for our audience, Ben. Uh, how, how does the how does the pill contribute? To right. The so so basically. You had two things that essentially kept marriages intact historically. One, you had the social expectations, like Dennis said, of socially it was uh, not in your favor to be divorced, to be having children out of wedlock. Um, you know, even something like abortion would have been like very taboo. Like if you did do that back in the day, you definitely didn't tell anybody about it. It was kind of a secret thing. Um, same thing with uh same-sex attraction, stuff like that. Like, if you had it, you didn't speak about it. It was just, there were these social pressures there. But the other thing is, is that um, God has designed um, sex to produce children in most cases, like we've talked about before. And those children create obligations outside of yourself. So the, the goal of that is to reduce the selfishness of the parents because they're cooperating together to raise a child and that there's responsibility. So what you see with as the birth control becomes more readily available, you start to see a crisis of fatherlessness. You start to see a crisis of marriages falling apart, infidelity, increased abortions. Because basically, what happened is we separated. He's taken the consequence away. Right, we separated yeah. sex from procreation. So now it's just a matter. Of, well, sex is, is something that people do to feel good. And that they shouldn't have to have any consequences to that because the only reason why you should be expected to have children is because it's a social construct. And so since social constructs don't matter, and since all that matters is how I feel, then I should be able to sleep with whoever I want and do whatever I want. And if I don't want kids, nobody can tell me what to do with my body. And that's basically where we live now. And so the pill contributed to that because it, it that was the, the method that we used to separate um, those two things. Because prior to that, it's like, yeah, you can you can cheat on your spouse. 
Or yeah, you can get a divorce and go and sleep with somebody else. But when you bring kids into the mix, because you still have somewhat of a conscience, that complicates things for you. So if you take kids out of the picture, then it becomes a lot less complicated and then you can just do what you want. And so now we take kids out of the picture either by preventing them from being born or by killing them in the womb, both of which removes the the social burden of children. And that's essentially the culture that we're in now. It's, it's about me and whoever I want to sleep with and whatever I want to do. And kids are just in my way and I don't need them. So basically when you take all of this together, no fault divorce, the homosexual agenda, the, the emergence of the pill, Supreme Court decision a few years ago, uh, uh, Oberfell versus Ogden, I think whatever the name of that was, uh, the erosion of the biblical worldview, fatherlessness, you take all of this and what you have is a perfect storm. And that is led up to where we are today and the results from the study and the, the fact that uh, marriage is viewed as basically meaningless in our society. So the question then shifts to the church. Okay, in if that's the world that we live in now, how do we as Christians, pastors, church leaders, uh, teachers, small group leaders, etc., how are we going to function? How are we going to encourage? How are we going to uphold the biblical definition of marriage? How do we um, coach our people, minister to our people, uh, and and hold up the biblical standard? Um, when we are in such a swamp of, uh, of of the problem that surrounds us, well, I think it starts with being the example. Um, I mean, you, you know, we've we've seen pastors and leaders in ministry that have you know committed adultery and disqualified themselves, and you know, pastors who um, divorces within the church and, and and things of that nature, and so. I think I think as the pastor, you know, to be an example of a, a biblical marriage, and a part of that is um, is to not try to put on this perfect front. I think being honest um, with people around you, and and to know that you're not perfect, your marriage isn't perfect, but yet you serve a perfect Savior, and He's the one that's binding the marriage together. I think is the is the key to it is is to start out with it being the example of it. Um, and I think being in each other's lives, I think being in, in people's lives and um, being able to, to speak into each other's lives and, and to be able, you know, for the husbands to be able to, to talk to each other and, and to lift each other up, to give godly counsel to each other, the women to be able to do the same, um, to lean on each other, to be the church when it comes to marriage. And um, I think that is the key to it as opposed to just, I'm not saying we don't preach or teach it, but we've got to, we've got to get down to the roots and, and with each other and, and get past the, everything's perfect. Everything's fine. And then tomorrow there's divorce. Um, and so within the church, I think we've got to be the church and, and to be in each other's lives to the point as acts preaches uh, to know when anyone has need. And I think that's the key. Yeah. And I think to piggyback on that, my wife and I have four young couples that we meet with monthly. And so we do a time of Bible study pertaining to marriage. Uh, we eat together. Uh, then we'll do some fun things together and um, to model so they can see our relationship and be very honest about that. But then also to, to really disciple them. And so 
Uh, ours is not the only group. We have several of those in the church, and we're always looking to find leaders who have stable marriages that can model those and teach and disciple. So those mentoring uh, things are good. We should preach from the pulpit, I believe, in the power of, of the spoken word, uh, and and it's always relevant, and, and it speaks, but I, I don't think you stop at that, uh, and certainly Adam has underscored the value of your own example, but here's where I think a pastor's got to be very courageous, is that you don't just get up there and, and let the people think that you're always on top of your game. <laughs> You know, my wife and I have never had a crossword. Yeah, well, so the truth is that we've got to let them know where we have struggles and where we have difficulties and challenges as well. Uh, and But that the grace of God is the thing. It's not me trying to make my marriage work. It's not my wife and myself together trying to make it work. It's us in humble reliance upon God, knowing that we can mess up and and we can go down in flames if we don't have the Holy Spirit's work blessing our home. But I know that the old thing of an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Man, when you get into some of these difficult issues where marriages are breaking apart and kids are involved and the hurt that happens is just, oh, it's just awful it's decimating I, I come out of those kinds of sessions just feeling absolutely drained it's a lot better up front to get folks prepared to deal with those things and try to pick up the pieces afterwards side question maybe we don't know the answer to this but is it going to be harder going forward as church leaders considering where we are in our culture and where marriage is and maybe, Dennis, you can speak to this better than, is it going to be harder for the three of us young guys on this table going forward as church leaders than maybe it was for you 30, 40 years ago when there was kind of more of a foundation of marriage and, and society was held better together? I mean, obviously there's always hope, and that's Jesus. But it just seems like we're in such a... a quicksand yeah I, i'm not a prophet neither the son of a prophet but in looking at things are going i will tell you it is going to be exponentially worse uh in times to come unless there's some great turning to god some spiritual awakening because as you look at the course of things uh, again you know in in these 40 years it's not been like a, a slow slide uh, it started as a slow slide, and then it got faster and faster to where now, I mean, if you told me 10 years ago that you'd have homosexual marriage, I'd have, no way that's going to happen, you know. And, and so that's why I say once, once the barriers begin to crash, it, it, it becomes even worse. And when you've got a younger generation that's growing up that really hasn't had the, the model and it's been told that all this subjectivism, you know, that you just need to be happy and do whatever, and that begins to spread, mm-hmm. then it's, it's just like a tidal wave that, that I see coming. So, yes, there's hope, and yes, we must share the gospel, but I almost feel like that the Titanic has hit the iceberg. It's going down, and the best we can do is try to get some folks on the lifeboats, as many as, as we can. And so, you know, it sounds very negative, but you asked me, so that's kind of where well, I Well, you know, and, and you mentioned salt and light a few minutes ago. Um, 
salt doesn't stop decay. Salt slows decay, the, the rate of decay. And so, obviously, Christians who have been embedded in every civilization, every culture from uh, 2,000 years ago to today have been in a dying culture, whether that be uh, Greece or Rome or uh, Byzantium or you know wherever they were in history, Europe or whatever. Um, so the the erosion is impossible to stop. It's going to happen because of the curse and because of sin. But we are there to to slow it, be a preservative, and to make people thirsty for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And modeling uh, a healthy marriage uh, is a, is a great way to do that um, when you are in Babylon as we are today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's uh, let's change gears here for just a second and. I just want to throw out some um, common scenarios, situations. Some of these I've been in the past few years, and some of these I know that maybe our listeners are dealing with right now. And let's just talk to them on a brass tacks level about, okay, how are, how should they handle this? So, for instance, uh, let's talk to the church leader out there who um, they have two people that are living together in their church. They're cohabitating. Mem- members or not? No, they're just attending okay, church. Just attending, okay. okay. Um, they're cohabitating. They're living together. Uh, they're coming to the church, and they say to the pastor or whoever, they say, "Hey, um, we want to join the church, and we want to get married." How do we go forward in that situation right there? Well, I, what I would actually, you do? I actually dealt with it not too long ago. Um, marriage, I did a couple. They were living together. Um, and it's always funny because the people that I've ran into, um, which hadn't been too many, it's amazing that right off the bat they they'll they'll like preference what they're saying. But we know this is wrong. Like mm-hmm. almost everyone that I've had, I've had three. But, actually. but right. Yes. Well, there is a but. You know, there's there's you know there's a financial deal. Um, it's cheaper for us to live together. Right. It's cheaper for us to live together, and and um, as long as they're if they're talking about getting married, then we'll, we'll take steps towards that. Um, but the couples that are just living together with no form of marriage, I'll ask when are you getting married? Cause usually one will be usually the girl, you know, hopefully soon. And the guy's like, I don't, you know, why should, why would I, you know, ruin a good thing? Um, so why buy the cow when you get the milk, for right? Free? Pretty exactly. much. So you've got, you've got that, that dynamic, but with the scenario you gave, um, I would probably counsel them to, for them to, until if they're wanting me to do the marriage, mm-hmm. that I won't do it unless one moves out There's for some the separation period of time. There. There's some separation, evidence there. of repentance, right? And then, and it's funny too because they'll talk about the financial thing, and I said, "Well, couldn't you move back in with your parents until this time period, and then there wouldn't be any financial?" Well, I can't live with my parents again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's they've always got this. Um, issue one thing one caveat i don't know if this is coming but one thing i think makes it tougher is if that couple has a child if there's a, a child a involved. if there's a child if they have a child that was born out of wedlock and they are living together for the benefit of that child that mm-hmm. comes it's a little bit more difficult i think and mm-hmm. in, in how to count counsel because you don't want to quote unquote split the family but yet yeah I, that's more right. of a difficult situation these are sticky issues and yeah. this is stuff that Pastors are running into every every day out there. Well, and, and uh, so I, anybody else want to jump yeah, in on that I, situation? I think right in um, our missionary efforts, uh, 
and our missionary dollars that we're spending that we need to have a consideration about these situations that that are are genuine as far as people the hardship of trying to have somewhere to live and put food on the table especially if you got a kid involved uh the cost of a wedding a marriage license all those sorts of things why can the church not help in those areas when a person wants to repent they have a desire to do different to get submitted to god's plan then why can't we be part of the solution uh aaron bergner our former student pastor shared in his message sunday about a a young couple that they reached in their church and uh you know they they wanted to get right they wanted to make it right they said we you know we can't afford to do a wedding so the church paid for that the church took care of those costs and 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 help them to make that a reality. And so I, I think we could take some practical steps while we uphold the truth and speak it in love. We do show the love by what we what we do. So I would encourage folks to consider helping folks in that scenario. Maybe you've got an old uh, parsonage or some church housing or something. What would be wrong with allowing someone for a month to live there uh, rent-free so that uh, they can work and get counseling and come together in the right way. I think it's, it has great possibilities. Yeah, and with a situation like that, I would say it all hinges on the willingness of the couple involved to be obedient to the Word of God. If they're truly repentant and they want to do, uh, do it God's way, no matter the cost, they'll make it happen. But on the same token, I've been in situations where people have come to me, they're living together, and they say, hey, we want to get married. Walk them through the premarital counseling questionnaire, find out, oh, they're living together. Well, in order to to do this God's way, you know, you need to separate. There needs to be an evidence, some evidence of repentance there. And that was too much. They didn't want to do that. And so they just got mad, left the church, and went somewhere else. That happens as a pastor that happens and that's where you kind of have to draw a line in the sand and say all right i'm i'm staking my claim with the word of god and not everybody's going to stick with that and you you kind of have to take a black eye for that but rather do that and stand before the lord one day with a good conscience knowing that you obeyed rather than trying to you know bend the rules so to speak to have somebody there that really doesn't want to obey the scripture they just want you to kind of massage things so that they can come in. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than bass the president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast, man, they calling for Katrina.